This podcast is brought to you by Watch City Research, your user research partner. Check out watchcityresearch.com for insightful blog posts and to learn more about our UX research services. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the 97 UX Things podcast. Dan Berlin here, your host and book editor. I'm joined this week by Shipra Kayan, who wrote the chapter, Align Your Teams Around Customer Needs Via Design Workshops. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Shipra. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, So thanks for joining me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. I um, have been practicing user experience design for 20 years almost. I'm old. (laughs) I uh, Currently, I'm a product evangelist at Miro. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miro is an online whiteboard, virtual whiteboard tool. Uh, And before Miro, I uh, led design teams at Upwork and uh, at Miro and also had a stint running my own practice, mm-hmm. uh, design facilitation practice for a couple of years, working with everything from Series B startups all the way to Apple, Microsoft, Capgemini. So yeah, just um, been doing facilitation work for the last few years. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What what type of facilitation work? Yeah, so most of my energy goes towards sort of design facilitation, but it doesn't have to be with design teams. There's uh, been some design sprints with typical tech teams, but also kind of workshops with uh, data teams at FedEx, you know, helping them figure out what problems they can solve for their business using data or workshops with uh, lawyers and accountants, you know, helping them figure out, you know, policy, policy statements or whatever. So it's been a wide variety of types of um, projects, but mostly uh, using design thinking methods. Yep. Neat. Very interesting. Um, And yeah, can you tell us about your career trajectory? How did you discover UX and how did you wind up where you are today? Yeah, I was um, back in the day studying uh, software engineering in India. Mm -hmm in the late 90s and uh, I realized back then that you know some of the things we were building even as test projects or in internships just seemed really out of touch with the normal person's experience but this was you know back in the day when human computer interaction or HCI was you know fairly new emerging field and certainly at the time unheard of in India and I just happened to have this professor who sent me an article about Xerox Park at the time. And, uh, you know, they were an early pioneer in HCD. And, and uh, kind of it really opened uh, my eyes to the kind of software engineering I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from then, it was a pretty straightforward line. I went uh, and got my master's at Carnegie Mellon and been in Silicon Valley ever since, uh, but have kind of moved through engineering, design, management, and now facilitation. Yeah. Uh, and throughout your career, is there one you know particular focus or area or activity that you've particularly enjoyed? Yeah, it's really reflected. I feel like I have always had this singular focus on um, on alignment, like aligning mm. teams. Yep. And in the beginning, a lot of it was driven by, 
you know, being an immigrant and seeing kind of how when you're at headquarters in Silicon Valley, kind of you have all the context. And then some of your remote team members uh, in Atlanta or LA or some other parts of the world like Russia or India may not have all the context. And right. so a lot of my energy kind of since the beginning has been focused on um, in inclusiveness and uh, alignment. And um, yeah, that's been sort of a thread. I think that's gotten me to doing the kind of work I do now. Nice. Yeah, and that's a nice uh, segue into the work you're doing now with the, the facilitation and into your chapter as well. Uh, align yeah. your team around customer needs uh, via design workshops. Now that we've heard your career trajectory, it makes sense why you wrote this chapter. So uh, can you tell us about it? Sure, yeah. The chapter really is a call to action for every designer hmm. to think of themselves as a facilitator as well. You know, design is the easy part of our job sometimes. You know, we're critical thinkers. We know how to apply design patterns. Uh, but we're not going to be successful as designers unless we can really align teams and utilize the knowledge of the collective in our work. And yep. so that's the goal of the chapter. Uh, and it's also... Uh, a roadmap to how you can start facilitating. So if you're newer to the practice of design or newer to an organization, it might seem a little daunting to run a workshop, uh, but the chapter really talks about, <clears throat> you know, starting small, uh, perhaps starting with any kind of the design meeting that you have coming up yep. and turning that into a workshop and making it more inclusive, co-creative, collaborative. Yep, I love this because it's so important because it helps get people on, on, on the same page, as you said, with alignment. Can you tell us a little bit how you uh, bring alignment to teams you know, with these workshops? Yeah, I, I think the first thing to realize is, is um, is that generally, so, so a lot of times when we have a goal uh, of alignment, we might solve that by creating a presentation. So I, I know a lot of teams uh, will create a presentation and give a talk or a presentation or present their designs and then ask for feedback or questions at the end. Mm -hmm. So you spend 20 minutes presenting, you have 10 minutes for Q&A, and maybe only the one person, maybe the VP or the person with the highest title in the room will ask a question. And then that becomes like the only kind of focal point of this feedback. Right. So this is a really common sort of uh, story that we see in meeting after meeting after meeting. Yep. Uh, and true alignment is really about, you know, eliciting those unsaid um questions or issues and and being able to create a space where people who are not aligned can actually speak up and yeah. have a, have a safe way to to send their thoughts um, to the group uh, and that's what I mean by alignment is about asking the hard questions and making sure you're getting to the real real uh, and the way you do it in a workshop setting in a very simple fashion is just maybe 
asking the right question, like seeding a question to the group mm. and letting everyone write instead of the first person speaking out, verbalizing their question or feedback, just letting everyone write mm -hmm. um, in a shared space, whether it's physical sticky notes or virtual sticky notes or a Google Doc or what have you. And that way you get all of this collective knowledge onto some sort of paper. And then uh, filtering through that in some way, it could be the group filtering through that or you as the expert meeting host filtering through that to decide like here are the five things we need to discuss mm -hmm. today. Um, so just creating different modalities for people to provide their input, uh, not just verbal. You mentioned you know the, the, the meeting style, per, the highest paid person in the room sets the stage for what we're gonna talk about. When everyone is writing down what they're, they're thinking, then we're on that even playing field. Absolutely, yeah. Whether you're kind of more introverted or have, you know, anxiety speaking up in meetings, yep. it's, it's so awkward pressing the unmute button now mm. on Zoom is so awkward. It is. Yeah. How else? What are some other tips you have for folks in terms of getting people in alignment and eliciting real, real from folks? Yeah, I think it's key to find the right question to ask mm. in any given workshop or a meeting. And so um, you might ask, how might we fail at a project kickoff? Uh, maybe to do a pre-mortem or mm. to get a sense of, you know, what, like what are people worried about but not saying. Um, you might ask, what gives you pause, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really about finding a way to frame the question that invites sort of some of the critique, um, which honestly, we're not, like as a culture, we're a very kind of we value positivity and praise and celebration, yep. which is where a lot of projects go wrong when when people are misaligned but don't don't talk about it or yep. don't put it out in the open How, what are some of those questions so you mentioned a few uh, that you can ask in the beginning you know, what constitutes project failure as a pre-mortem um, but you know what are some of those other ways of determining what questions you're going to ask in a workshop because you do have limited time there absolutely yeah you do have limited time um, yeah, I mean, I can give some examples uh, based on types of workshops you might run. Something I really love doing is uh, synthesizing together. So if you're doing research, you might want to synthesize uh, together with other people. And part of that is, you know, you, you, two people listening to the same interview can hear different things. Mm -hmm. And there is um, some value in in uh, noticing what those differences are. Uh, I remember doing an interview once where I thought the entire time I was talking to a woman uh, and going into another room after the interview and having some of my coworkers who were listening in say, you know, refer to the, the participant as a he. Right. And, you know, it's just kind of like we, we, we I still don't <laughs> know how that person, how they, uh, identified themselves, but 
it, it, there are these like very basic uh, assumptions that we take into some of these interviews. So mm -hmm. um, uh, let's say, you know, you're workshopping, um, uh, you know, synthesis, you know, it might be, it, it might be a good question might be what surprised you about that interview? So mm. instead of asking, what did you hear? Um, it might be interesting to ask what surprised you? Yep. Um, what was new? Um, how does this new knowledge change our priorities? So kind of finding, finding a way to ask the question in a way that you're not getting the, 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 you, you moving towards your goals of figuring out how does this research impact the product? Can you tell us a bit more about this group synthesis? So, you know, a lot of solo researchers may be used to going off and reading a lot of qualitative data and doing their own synthesis. But to your point, when you have multiple people doing this synthesis, you, you move away from that evaluator effect where you only get one person's view. How do you do that in that workshop setting? Yeah, I um, generally would do some, and there's, you know, do some level of, pre-synthesis on my end mm. uh, because uh, you know coming to a workshop completely with a blank slate is is not generally a good use of time so doing some level of pre-synthesis is important but realizing that a workshop is not you presenting your findings but you creating the boundaries and asking people what did you hear yep. what surprised you what do you think really matters how do we interpret? We heard, we all heard X. How do we interpret that? What does that mean for us? Mm -hmm. um, how much confidence do we feel? And so coming into a group's uh, synthesis area, I usually use mirror boards with kind of, I might have my preliminary findings. I might create a space for people first to just write down what surprised them what their big takeaway was, do an affinity right there, mm -hmm. uh, simple affinity. Um, and then uh, it's always hard to talk about everything. There's always so much. Uh, I always do a heat map. So after doing an affinity to see what some of the top themes were, we might do a heat map. Hey, we can talk about two of these. Right. Which ones should we talk about? So have some dots, or some kind of dot voting. Uh, and then once you find like what the group wants to talk about, uh, the goal of any sort of workshop for me, and if it's a synthesis workshop, the goal would be uh, to leave that workshop with three things that seem really impactful that came mm -hmm. out of this research that's going to change our direction or product direction or whatever. Yep. Um, and those three things would be the first three slides of my research readout, you know. Um, how about misalignment during the mm. workshop? You know, the, I'm sure that comes up a lot where people are really still misaligned. How do you help align people? Uh, honestly, I really welcome those moments hmm. when we see misalignment. What happens more, I want to say more frequently, is that there is a false sense of alignment and uh, and uh, the misalignments don't show up. So. Right. So I really welcome it. The, uh, the facilitation skill to master in those moments 
is to see first, like notice the misalignment, and then be able to put it in words. Hmm. I'm noticing that there are two different schools of thoughts here, thought here, thought A, thought B. Sometimes if I really need a moment to formulate or summarize what people, what I'm hearing from the group, I might take a break. Hmm. I'm feeling some stress here. Can we take a five minute break and then I'll come back and I'll kind of have a pathway forward for us. Yep. Uh, and then when people come back, it, the key is to articulate, like here's what I'm hearing uh, and here's the decision we need to make today. Uh, how and then, and then find that way forward from there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also really important to have sort of at the end of the day, th- there are two things here. There's, at the end of the day, I find that most misalignments is, is it, it, it points to different assumptions in the two people or the, or the two groups yeah. that are misaligned. Like I, I think most reasonable people kind of would make the same decisions if they had the same assumptions. So what I'm trying to do is get to the root cause. Like what is, what, where are we deferring in our assumptions here? Mm-hmm. And then I'm also looking uh, to see if we need to make a decision who the decider is. So knowing that there's going to be trade-offs in this decision, uh, how, how can I identify the one person that has the authority to make this decision today? Yep. Um, so yeah, I like to sit in that stress a little bit yep. and kind of really unfold it. Great. What else about facilitation do people need to know for workshop facilitation? What would be best? Yeah, I think you know it's it's really all about starting with uh, with a goal in mind, and the goal is not facilitation. What what is the goal of any meeting that you have? Uh, and when I think about facilitating a meeting or a workshop, I literally will draw out <laughs> the end result mm-hmm. that I want. Um, you know, whether it's maybe I need a project plan or I want to leave with. A framework for my presentation or I want to leave with um, you know this uh, user flow uh, and you're not gonna get within a workshop you're not gonna converge all the way a hundred percent but you want to converge 80% within that meeting or workshop right. uh, and so yeah I always start with this end result <laughs> that I imagine I will get to at the end of this meeting and then plan from there uh, backwards from there to make the best use of our time. Yeah. And that helps set the expectations of workshop participants too. It's like, hey, here's what our goal is. Now let's work towards getting there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the point is to do the work in the meeting. Like mm. you you want to be doing the work in the meeting, not just discussing or. Right. What else? So how else can people do work during the meeting to um, bring people together? Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of have been doing this in almost every meeting now. Whenever uh, people are, whenever I sense that there's this moment uh, where people are giving ideas or giving feedback uh, to someone in the meeting or... or this one, this one time, uh, a meeting leader asked 
you know, how we could make our recurring meetings better. Like mm-hmm. it was, a, they had a design and they just asked like, what can we do better for our recurring meetings? That is so much better in a workshop. So it's, it's much better to workshop that than to ask that in a meeting verbally. So I always like to pause uh, anytime there's a verbal discussion <laughs> that's going out of hand and just pause and have people write out. Hmm. write out their thoughts. Um, So, yeah, I would suggest just kind of always having a mirror board up or some way or a Google Doc or whatever it is that you use for co-authoring as a co-authoring system. Uh, And whenever you feel like there's a conversation going around in circles, just pause, uh, formulate the question (laughs) that you're trying to answer and have people write down have everyone write down what their answer to that yeah. question is. That seems to be the, uh, the, the, the theme there of you know, right, having people write things down, levels of playing field, and lets everyone move forward. Yeah. What else from your chapter were you helping, hoping to convey here? I think also the other hope I have is um, that we sketch more. Mm-hmm. So I know I've been focused on writing, and I think writing is thinking, it's super important. But uh, I also would love for every designer to try getting their stakeholders to sketch mm-hmm. <laughs> in any setting that they can. Yep. Uh, and just similarly giving them a prompt uh, of what you're sketching, but having uh, allowing people to sketch out their ideas instead of saying it verbally uh, is freeing. It's freeing for them and it's freeing for you. Yep. Well, not everyone thinks the same way too, right? Some people are better writing things down. Some people are better sketching. Fair enough. Yes. How do you get people sketching? You know, people are sometimes reticent to do so. How do you, how do you get them to do it? Yeah. I mean, especially, right? Like people want to sketch using a pencil uh, when you ask them to sketch because they can like erase stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, people with lower confidence in sketching are generally uh, yeah, reticent to sketch or don't want to sketch. It, it's, it's all about setting expectations. When I'm asking people to sketch, I'm, I'm giving them the freedom to use two-dimensional space so mm. instead of letters and alphabets. You can draw a flow chart, you can draw stick figures. Um, the point of the sketch is not how good it is or artistic it is, but it is to convey your idea um, in a medium that's not words. Right. Um, it also is a really kind of interesting uh, moment for people to reflect on their feedback or their ideas. So a lot of times, you know, people come to meetings and they have ideas about how something should be. Um, and it's it's helpful for the person giving the feedback to get out of their own head and try and sketch what they want you to do. Mm. Um, in a way, showing, you know, kind of refining their own idea a little bit before handing it off to you. So right. you don't have the burden of understanding what they mean. Um, but just, yeah, just creating a safe space saying like, it's not about art. <laughs> it's about the concepts. Right. Right. And it helps get the idea out. Yeah. Great. So thank you for all of that about the workshops. Um, in our final moments here, how about a tip 
for people, uh, either breaking into UX or have been in UX for a while? What's a piece of advice you have for folks? To learn the business vocabulary. Hmm. Wherever you end up being, you're going to have to advocate for your design. And so, uh, yeah, the first thing I would do is to look through some of the QBRs or whatever business review decks and learn the business vocabulary, uh, the metrics, what they care about. Do they care about reducing customer support tickets, engagement, adoption, retention? Yep. Or maybe there's just um, they care about making the product more scalable technically. Like what is the business caring about right now? Yep. And using that vocabulary is super important. Tying the design back to those business goals always. Um, what in particular you mentioned, you know, KPIs and knowing uh, you know what the, those business goals are. But what other business terms or things do people do you think people need to know? Yeah, um, definitely the metrics uh, that it's kind of the KPIs and and using the the faster you can start using that vocabulary, the better. Um, but also kind of uh, understanding like just how the business runs. A lot of us, for instance, if you work at a marketplace, (laughs) you're kind of building the software interface for a highly operational product. You know, if you're building DoorDash, for instance, and understanding how the operations work uh, and the journey beyond the website is, is kind of also just gives so much more context to your designs and your ability to advocate for what you're right. doing. Yeah, knowing the whole ecosystem is key to design. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you for joining me today. We're just about out of time here. So my guest today has been Shipra Kayan, who wrote the chapter Align Your Team Around Customer Needs Via Design Workshops. Thanks for joining me today, Shipra. Right, Dad. Take care. You too, and thanks for listening, everyone. The 97 UX Things podcast is a companion to the book 97 Things Every UX Practitioner Should Know, published by O'Reilly, and all book royalties go to UX nonprofits. The theme music is Iron Lung by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and I'm your host and book editor, Dan Berlin. Please remember to find the needs in your community and fill them with your best work. Thanks for listening.